0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Welcome everyone to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by Jeremy Puma, Gary Kelly, Bex Atwood. We've got all of Liminal Earth in here today. Uh thank y'all for joining me for this one because it's gonna be wild. This is gonna be a wild one. We're talking, we're talking about gnomes. So thank you for uh joining me on the pod today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, we're stoked. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Jeremy, we is, Jeremy is wearing a gnome hat right now. People can yes, he yes,
0: he and is. Yes, I'm and I'm drinking mate out of a gnome mug. Oh yes, <laughs> totally. The gnome in hat character.
3: is yeah. like something that you can see on our TikTok so far back. It is wild. You go to some of our first videos and you see it's Jeremy in his hat.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I like I like hats. I mean, you Good. know, yes, I'm a hat guy. You, I'm you a are the hat that, guy. I'm a little worried that I'm going to end up a hat man entity someday.
1: Oh God! <laughs> so, like this is the beginning of the the molding of like your shadow being into this eventual form that terrif- terrifies people in their bedrooms. And realistically, you're just trying to approach them, and you're like, "Hey, where's the bathroom?" Uh, exactly. Could you show me? Just tell me where the bathroom is, and like we <laughs> we don't need to do all of this stuff. But speaking of TikTok, you know you had you had a TikTok go viral, you know, and uh, you know, we got to talk about a little bit. One because you're Jeremy, you're wearing an Our Strange Guys shirt and that thing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. I am. Yes, I was <laughs> like, well, it's like it's not really UFO related, but it's true. I am. I'm wearing. I'm wearing our strange sky shirt so that shirt also went viral yeah yeah it's you're talking about the painting one
1: yes the painting uh tell tell the folks a little bit about that particular tiktok because like when people go viral on tiktok it's it's not usually for the things that they're doing it's something else and like this is great TikTok. like just
0: explain <laughs> it to the folks for us yeah, so it doesn't uh it, yeah it doesn't really have much to do with anything um no. other than the fact that we were all together in the same room uh in my house yeah it's a painting and i don't know i don't know if i want to give away the spoilers though about because it's kind of got a punchline i mean yeah it does <laughs> if you haven't seen it it's just it's this painting my grandfather did of this beautiful ship um, and the ship has a name that, uh, is kind of surprising and explains the name of the ship explains why my family were so eager to give it to me <laughs> <laughs> and be like, Oh, you want some of this? We have a painting. We don't want it in our hall anymore. <laughs> it's funny too, because I, when I was growing up, it was always in like the darkest hall in the house. It was never like in parents' (laughs) house. (laughs) I was like, you know, it's it's a really nice painting, and and we have it up in our living room at our house. But I can I can kind of understand why my parents might have had it. Like, oh, it's in the hallway on the way to the spare room. Uh, Here's the (laughs) linen closet.
1: It's the painting we don't talk about that much. Yeah, don't look too close
2: to it. Exactly. Don't.
3: What I love about it, too, is that, like, you know, we're just hanging out in the living room. Like, we had just tried some of his, like, pickled beets. And we were just hanging out getting ready for an adventure. He's like, oh, let me show you this painting. And it was so nonchalant. We were just hanging out. And so for that... To be the thing that we get viral is like ridiculous because we put so much time and energy into terrible yeah.
1: things. I, I hear you. I hear you. That's like You you go viral on TikTok for a painting. I go viral on TikTok for owning a CD. That's literally that's the only time I've ever gone viral on TikTok is for owning a CD. That's like one of the earliest projects that Lana Del Rey did before she became Lana Del Rey. It's the only thing I'm famous for on TikTok.
3: <laughs> so worthy though so worthy. that's a good one
1: yeah 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 um but yeah today we're, we're talking about the gnomes the euphonomes as as we've dubbed them because they, they there's a ufo component to the stories that we're bringing you today but you know throughout different cultures they're known as in, in as many different things um some call them trolls some call them leprechauns uh you know there's the little people of uh, a lot of indigenous lore and in, in uh, our neck of the woods and uh throughout the united states there's the hidden people of iceland and you know the general term the fae they definitely fit into that but uh yeah, we're going with gnomes today, and there's been legends and fairy tales throughout history, and and we see a lot of those fairy tales kind of like pop up, uh, you know, from time to time. And, and one that is like close to me is the story of Rip Van Winkle because, you know, I I live probably a few hours away from you know uh, where Washington Irving lived and where he set that story in the Catskill mountains and stuff. And um, there's a lot of kind of Dutch influence into that story, but there's a lot of kind of uh, indigenous lore around Rip Van Winkle. And, And if you don't know, who rip van winkle is or the story rip van winkle is basically i think the cliff's notes version the best way to sum it up is uh rip van winkle is uh kind of one of those go with the flow kind of guys uh he's called the loser by his wife uh you know uh as as it he kind of is a loser he's a loner he doesn't he he doesn't like to work i don't blame him i don't want to work but uh you know that is what it is but uh eventually he goes out in the woods and he sees a bunch of short beings and they're bowling like just bowling out in the woods so As naturally yeah exactly <laughs> like uh i can't remember the last time it's been so long since i bowled in the woods uh, i gotta get out there <laughs> real soon but uh he uh he ends up eating and drinking what they offer him goes to sleep for 20 years wakes up and he starts living the best you know life because his wife has left him and uh he's on his own and just starts living it up so um the moral of the story is uh in in rip van winkle's um perspective here give take whatever the fey offer you're going to be living your best life after you know <laughs> you've returned <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know you know what i think my favorite thing about that story is Mm. Um, or the thing that like the most aspirational thing about it um, is the idea of sleeping for 20 years. Ugh, yes. Yes. So delightful. <laughs>
1: right? Like I, I'm hoping that whatever the Faye have to offer, you know, there isn't a lot of like, you know, muscle mass going away and like, you could just get up and you could move around. I'm hopeful for that. But uh, yeah, 20 years, just, uh, you know, take a break for 20 years, not age, just, wake up the same person that you pretty much were and like, yeah, go on about your life, you know, live it up. And, um, you know, be that, that jobless person that you want to be. I respect that. I (laughs) totally respect that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Uh, But there are a lot of, uh, there's, there's kind of a lot of distinguishing characteristics to the figures that we're going to be talking about today. And a lot of it, uh, revolves around their height these folks are generally pretty short some have been reported to be as short as six to seven inches tall while others are about uh maximum like four feet tall most of these encounters pretty much i think all of these encounters uh take place in nature in the woods where you encounter the euphonomes coming down in their crafts or just like you know appearing out of nowhere um they can often appear and disappear at will and uh i they they're pretty good dressers i will say that you know we're gonna get a lot of stories here of figures that are you know, dressed kind of like they, they're wearing one piece suits, but uh, you know, in one particular case, we've got beings that are kind of wearing cloaks here. They've got, you know, nice uh, vests on and stuff. So uh, they do have some fashion sense, which I think is important. If you're, uh, if you're going to have an encounter, you kind of want to, you know, dress for the encounter that you want to have. I mean, uh, there's no way around that. Uh you can, when they talk, they often have this kind of like sing songy kind of voice in many ways. Um, uh, the one thing that you keep finding over and over again, because there is some inherent racism in this topic, a lot of people will compare these figures to um, different. Uh, Asian groups but they will do it in very unflattering ways using unflattering language that's something that you run into a lot because a lot of these stories are old so just keep that in mind if you go looking at the sources and the show notes you're going to find a little bit of that um, but uh, yeah it's, it's always there but you know, physical descriptions of them kind of vary. Some are described with kind of like long beards and hair, you know, kind of uh, akin to more of that European look, you know, whereas others are described as having that Asian appearance again. Um, some have also been described as looking reptilian, which is, um, yeah, no, thanks. i uh, going to pass on that. <laughs> and um they're often described as being like jovial kind of playful in, in many ways, even though like they're kind of being creepy. They're still being jovial about it. They're happy. They're they're They seem to be pretty happy. So one of the earliest accounts that I've been able to find, and like, we've kind of covered a couple of cases that would fit into this description. I mean, Jeremy, your hat's appropriate for like the mrv Elf because that that short figure was definitely wearing a pointed hat. Yeah, and it, it was taken, you know, pictures out in in Finland. So uh, you have definitely dressed for the occasion. We also covered uh, the uh, abduction of Jose Antonio de Silva, who was uh, abducted by these short beings that had very long beards. They had long hair and they wanted to engage in in an intergalactic arms deal with him, which was very weird. Like, I I don't understand how you capture a man, you bring him, you have him blindfolded the the whole time, you bring him into a room, a room that I would very much describe, just given the murals on the wall, as a uh, pediatrician's office. There was definitely, you know, some cars and trucks, murals on the walls and stuff and then you bring them in and you basically tell them you you want to trade uh guns at this point and like no uh that that's a that's a story and a half you know
0: now if i recall correctly wasn't there some religious discussion too um in that case in particular um
1: yeah a little bit
0: bit. um because that's another case that i was interested in talking about Mm -hmm. today too so yeah, point. Interesting point. Of yeah,
1: yeah. There are there there are slight religious overtones in in some of in some of these cases for sure. Yeah, and, and um, yeah. Our earliest one, uh, that uh, I I hit up Fred Anderson online because Fred, um, uh, he he tweeted out this uh this interesting account from nineteen thirty one involving a man named uh, Helga Erickson. Um, and his uh, his Twitter post reads, uh, quote, sometime after New Year's uh, 1931, 23-year-old Helga Erickson was working as a farmhand outside of Eslov. After spending a few hours with a friend at a nearby farm after the day was done, he was walking home when he saw something utterly strange. He wasn't far from the farm where he was working When he saw in the pale moonlight, and I mean, you're in the pale moonlight, It's what better time to see any gnomes? Uh, A group of approximately a dozen men come walking towards him. They were much taller than a meter uh, from toe to the top of their heads. Their faces were clearly visible and they sported beards. And some kinds uh, of hats. So uh, basically, they're out in the woods. They're seeing a bunch of uh, Jeremy Pumas, and uh, you know they're um, they're coming close. Their faces were tough and hard, almost cruel. Uh, they were wearing dark green clothes and were marching like a tiny army, and were talking loud with each other. Helga couldn't identify any words, but it was without a uh, doubt some kind of language. But something he noticed was the strong, almost chemical smell that lingered in the area for a while afterwards. They were only a meter from him at the closest, but didn't seem to care. After passing him, they, they turned out on a field and towards an intensive white-blue light surrounded by fog, and they all disappeared into it. Soon, the mysterious light followed them into the abyss with a swooshing sound. This wasn't any normal humans. This was something from another world. Helga later told an investigator. So, uh, that that's premier euphonome activity right there. That's that's just fantastic.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, it's inter- I, I've noticed a few of these, like these these, um, uf uf euphonome <laughs> encounters. <laughs> um they tend to be with groups Mm -hmm. i know there are a few there are a few that are just kind of solo solitary diminutive beings but um i i I think kind of the on the balance i think most of them there's there's usually more than one um yeah which is there seems to be intriguing
1: um it is it is like uh what is it about like they they you know come out in numbers you know like uh that is interesting. Why do they come out in numbers? Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just that that whole display thing. You know, I, I've been leaning more into the idea of like a a, a display. These things are occurring are kind of a display for the witness. But uh, you got when you're that diminutive and you encounter strange people just out in the woods, uh, you're thinking, hey, maybe why am I seeing people out in the woods right now? Yeah, no, know, but, but you know, it's, it's better to do it in numbers. Um, and it's also, uh, if you learn anything from star Wars, you know, the sand people hide their numbers. So, uh, clearly they could take a lesson from star Wars here. Hide your numbers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the Ewoks are, um, are kind of gnome-like. I mean, mm-hmm. about it. They, so they could, they could be, um, they could fit into the UF gnome, the woo- d- euphonome <laughs> we got a, a strange phrase it's a straight
1: it's a strange phrase i know it's just like euphonome like uh yeah. it's, it's a brand i'm all about branding here
0: <laughs> the, the other i don't want to i don't want to take up too much of the i don't want to talk too much but um <laughs> i was just i tend to so <laughs> shut me up if i if i start to uh usurp the the convo oh, um it's all good but the 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 description of them as like army like, mm-hmm. uh, sort of militant. It reminds me. So I, I was looking into the history of like the gnome character. Um, as as people who follow the work of Liminal Earth might know, I'm kind of enamored of the idea of um, the entities summoned and interacted with in in ritual ceremonial magic descriptions, uh, kind of correlating to um, UFO intelligences and and having similarities therewith so i was looking into gnomes um which i guess uh the there's a little there nobody really knows where the term came from but um they they were saying that paracelsus the alchemist uh the bombast the bombastus paracelsus uh is kind of the one who came up with the idea of gnomes as earth elementals uh which are basically you know their spirits within the elements and um so they would interact in with the earth the way that like fish interact with water they move through the earth and they they, they, they were always associated with like finding treasure and uh guarding treasure and um which you know i know the fae also are, are mm-hmm. often think about leprechauns and their gold it goes back, there are theories that it goes back to this idea of, um, and it, unfortunately it's become a word that has some sort of uh, racist and colonialist over but the word pygmy, mm-hmm. uh, which originally was never meant to indicate anything. It was something specific from like the Greek historians. Uh, and, and the pygmies were this race of diminutive uh, people. Uh, and they were said to be very small, like, you know, three spans tall. So like three apples tall, tall, like Smurfs. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> how like that. According to in the Iliad, that's what they are. And they they were involved in a constant battle with cranes and herons, like the bird.
1: <laughs> Interesting. So, so like what? I'm, I'm now, okay, I'm going, I'm going to, my brain is going to point pleasant west virginia now i want to see i want to see the cranes taking on these short diminutive figures just battling it out and you know you got mothman that's kind of looking on while all this is going on i like where my head is going with this
0: yeah yeah (laughs) but they would organize these armies and they would go battle um these like just cranes and herons and they would just i don't know um but that that sort of makes me wonder, like, are they are they militant? Are they organized? Um, you know, with the with the weapons trade? Are they? Uh, I don't no. know. A lot of a lot of correlations there that make my brain buzz. It makes you wonder what kind of connections that they
1: have now. That uh, yeah, they seem to be pretty well connected in um, you know, I would say the multiverse at this point. I I think you know they dwell in a lot of places they've got to have good connections uh yeah i think uh you got to watch out for those euphonomes now you got to watch out for them <laughs> they're uh they're a threat they're a total threat um so there's an account that i pulled from uh of, of brad steiger's uh, a very early account when he was young uh in his uh, book the ufo abduction book and it kind of it, this story kind of fits into what we're talking about here there's no ufo in particular but uh it, it kind of makes sense when you look at uh lore and and uh, where you see the connections with this uh diminutive figure that he's about to have an encounter with, uh, quote, I have already recounted my own humanoid close encounter in previous works. So I will only summarize it here. When I was a child, not quite five, I witnessed a most extraordinary occurrence. It was on an October night in 1940. I remember clearly that I had been sitting on the edge of my bed looking up at a harvest moon when I heard the sound of someone walking outside on the crisp autumn leaves. Since my parents, uh, my three-month-old sister and I, lived on an Iowa farm two miles east of town, the footsteps of anyone approaching the house, especially after dark, indicated an occasion of some importance. So we've got Brad Steiger, he's setting this one up here. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, When I I heard a tin wash tub being dragged from the pump at the well. Curiosity and a small sense of alarm prompted me to get off my bed and walk closer to the window to investigate. I was astonished rather than frightened by the sight of a smallish man setting the tub beneath our kitchen window. The peculiar little fellow was dressed in a one-piece coverall, something like the kind that Dad wore when he worked on machinery. But the stranger's outfit was very tight, almost molded to his body. The kitchen curtains were open, and the light from the kerosene lamp illuminated the little man's head and his upper body as he raised himself on tiptoe to peer in at my mother and father. I could see his very large, round skull, two-pointed ears, and long, slender figures... The fingers as they grasped the windowsill. I didn't really see his eyes until he must have sensed that he, the watcher, was being watched, and he turned to look at me from a distance of no more than seven feet. Although we were physically separated by a window pane, the transparent barrier did nothing to refract the tingle of shock and surprise that I received from those enormous slanted eyes with their vertical reptilian pupils. I drew in a sharp <laughs> gasp of air and my heart began to thud. But the more I looked into the shadowed depths of those eyes, the calmer I became. They were already disproportionately large to- for such a small head But now they were expanding even more. They seemed to grow larger and larger, more and more enchanting, until the next thing I knew, it was morning. A potent seed had been activated within my psyche. No amount of adult persuasion could alter the evidence of my personal experience. We were not alone in the universe. There were other intelligences walking about who resembled us, who seemed curious about us, and who might even care about us, in some way uh that's yeah i like i just if there's any euphonomes listening to this podcast right now i'm going to tell you one thing and one thing only do not peer into people's windows it's creepy nobody likes it (laughs) if you want draw them outside (laughs) but don't but don't peer into windows what are you doing like that's how you get arrested and (laughs) now i have to wonder Can they be arrested? I'm going to tackle, I'm going to live with this thought the rest of my life. Will they, can they be arrested? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Garrett has, Garrett, you have a a thing about things creeping into windows, right? Or peeking through windows.
2: Yeah. I think Rob and I have commiserated about this before from like sightings and everything with the, the, just that peeking through the window thing is just, I think that as a child, I was, one of my biggest fears. And that show sightings just had it all the time. I remember just like, yes. And my parents, for some reason, didn't believe in curtains or window blinds. <laughs> so they had some religious uh, reasoning apparently for not putting them on my window. So I was just always terrified of waking up and just having those like creepy eyes staring down at me.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I, for the longest time, and I and it's weird because you never know where these fears come from when you're a kid. But I always remember, um, even kind of before I had my quote unquote gnome encounter. Um, I remember sleeping with the covers over my head, uh, and I did that until the age of God. I was probably an adult when I stopped doing that. Wow. Mm -hmm. That really messed with me. I was like probably like 20 when I was like, why am I still doing this? Whatever. Uh, But it's just like, you know, that idea that bed sheets can stop the bad things from coming into your room or something like that, or from looking at you. It's like, no, they got, they've got to have some like high tech eyes or something like that. (laughs) They got some good, like, um, I like, I don't know what kind of gadgets they have if they, cause they got to have some gadgets. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, the power I, of a bed sheet when you're a kid.
2: <laughs> yeah. I did the same thing. I think it's just, I knew I would spiral about like thinking I saw something. Mm-hmm. So I would hide under the blankets too, as well, even though never did, I would just assume, you know, I like, I know I would get down into this path of like, well, is that is that is that it is that what that is you know so mm-hmm. I had a question about this last encounter or I just noted the interesting that uh, sounds like uh, it was set off by looking at the moon I think that was interesting that like, like that was right. kind of like a trigger for that and then also it sounds like they kind of passed out uh, mm-hmm. at some point which I think the next story is also similar I think they kind of just pass out so it's almost like that what's that word hypnagogic. Is that the word? Yeah. It's just like the yeah. in-between stage before sleep. Um, and just like, you know, what does that mean? Is it like some period of time, you know, like when uh, people are, for very scientific reasons, like having this almost dream state? Or or is it just like the window when you can actually see these things, you know? Um, it's just interesting, I think. like like is that like a a, play, a a time that they are visible and they can manifest in a way for us i don't know
1: right right and i i sometimes i don't know why i still do podcasting cuz i freak myself out with this stuff <laughs> and i know i just know like at some point i'm going to get a thought in my head because there it's going to be like the same thought That I had when I was, uh, you know, a teenager and that when I took a shower at night and I pulled back open the curtain when I was done, there were going to be gray aliens standing there. And now, like, they're going to be there more than ever. (laughs) 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 Right. Yeah, Uh, man. I think I need a new hobby, uh other than <laughs> scaring myself.
0: <laughs> you should try, what's the most mundane thing you could do a podcast about that you know, like the 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 history of different kinds of uh tapes, like scotch tape?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um office supplies. Yeah, yeah. office
2: supplies or that Love Lana you. Del Rey CD just go like go hard on that sounds like he had some success so <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah just. it's
1: it's it's my retirement strategy <laughs>
0: <laughs> if all else fails
1: <laughs> if yes if all else fails i have this one cd maybe i can hawk it for some money or something i don't know
2: uh but um
1: so, yeah. how do you think
2: yeah go ahead some other thing too i thought it was interesting that he said that the it was wearing something that resembled what his dad wore yeah and Mm -hmm. so i just think that um and that's where his mind went as the association like his dad Mm -hmm. so it just makes me wonder about like these things being some kind of internal things to people And then they're externalized somehow. They they become manifest outside of us, but they are part of our inner world, you know? And then we, we see them outside. And so they take on characteristics like that of like your dad or other things. I'm just curious about that as we go forward, thinking about it that way, that like there's some internal thing that is now like maybe even physically outside of us somehow that I don't understand in a way that I don't know how that works, but... right they actually become a form somehow, but they're part of our internal self. Right. 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 No,
1: that's a, that's a good point. And uh, yeah, like it, it's always creepy when you can associate the weird little figures that are staring in your window with your, parents it's
3: <laughs> <laughs> right and it makes yeah. me think too like it makes me think about doppelgangers a bit of a different way because yes. if they can uh you know mimic family who's to say that they can't they can't just mimic you I,
1: wow we're we're going down i am sleeping with the lights on tonight. Damn
3: <laughs> oh rob i'm
2: sorry <laughs>
1: that's all good that's all good uh you know, when you have friends that have had encounters with doppelgangers, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, that shit suddenly becomes real. And, uh, you're now forced to, uh, contend with the, um, thoughts in your head that you, you just don't want to, but Hey, those, those are my demons. I'll deal with those. (laughs) 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 um, the kind of quintessential euphonome story and, and one that when you see the depictions of it uh, is the uh, Rosalotti uh, Sanina landing in Italy in 1954. And this case kind of comes off the back of a huge flap that was occurring in like France. And as uh, some of it was uh, happening in Italy, like there was a, a moment where a ufo appeared over a soccer stadium and it kind of just like everybody saw the damn thing and um this story is just kind of it's definitely it's iconic for a number of reasons but um uh it was november 1st 1954 and rosa who was a mother of four she would set out at 6.30 in the morning to gather. Uh, and, and this is interesting here. I think this is like one of the most interesting parts. Uh, she was gathering carnations for an altar to uh, Madonna Pellegrina. So already we have, um, you know, we're building an altar here. Uh, with uh, some carnations. And upon entering a clearing, she saw a small barrel-shaped object that resembled a spindle, approximately six feet long, sitting on the ground. And it resembled kind of two bells joined together in the center, wrapped in metal of some kind. Like, uh, the depiction of it that you see that um, we'll include on social media and stuff, like, it, it looks like... I, I tend to wonder how the heck the thing moved because it looks like it was almost too heavy to move. Cause it looks like it's almost made of like, like iron or something like that, a heavy metal. But, um, uh, the color of these, of this metal object, it kind of more resembled leather in a way. But, uh, the two beings, these two beings appeared from behind the object and, uh, who were quote, almost like men, but the size of children. Uh, they stood just a meter tall and their faces were friendly, though if you see the depiction of them, they don't look very friendly. They look very aggressive uh, because they are they're about to engage in some aggressive actions here uh, with you. The- uh, expressions caught in an eternal kind of smile of sorts, but it's uh, it just seems kind of like a wicked smile. Uh, she claimed that because their upper lips curled upwards slightly, that their mouths were kind of like rabbit-like. Um, though, you know, she kind of recanted this like 17 years later and said, nah, they kind of had normal mouths, but like I'm not going to be able to get that image of these two short figures with rabbit mouths. Now it's just stuck in my (laughs) head. It's not going anywhere. Uh, They wore one piece gray overalls going so far as to cover the feet. Completing the look was a cloak and a double uh, and a uh, Dublé fashioned with buttons that were quote like shining stars. Uh, they wore trousers as well. Quote, like the long underpants that men wear in winter completing that ensemble were helmets uh, that uh, kind of look like the old school football helmets from like the forties mm. and the fifties and stuff like that. The, the kind of leather um, caps there. And one of the beings looked kind of a little bit older than the other. uh, And the older, I I guess the lesson here is like the older your gnome looks, the happier it it tends to act. But
2: uh,
1: (laughs) um, they, uh, they kind of tried talking to Rosa though. She really couldn't understand uh, what uh, they were saying, but she said their language kind of sounded like Chinese, but again, like, that that stereotype is weird in stories like this, but um, the older being kept laughing like an elf at Santa's workshop. That's the way that uh, she described it. So kind of like a high pitched laugh. You can kind of hear it if you've watched any of those, you know, like rank uh, and bass cartoons and Christmas cartoons and stuff. Um and uh, in a quick, swift motion, this being snatched the carnations that she was carrying away from her, as well as like one black stocking that she was also carrying too. Uh, although this being, the being did return two of the two of the carnations back to her um, before, kind of just throwing them into their uh, craft. And then the being like took hold of this package inside the object. And as they were bringing it out, because um, it seemed like they were going to present her with it, she decided to run for it. And I don't really blame her at this point, but <laughs> uh, the reason, the main reason that she says she ran is because she feared that they were about to take her picture.
3: Mm. You know? That's weird. Yeah, yeah
0: that's weird. There's
3: some lore. Okay, So there is some lore that I've interacted when I used to take school pictures. Um, There are some cultures, especially uh, Amish and Mennonite. We had a lot of those back in the Midwest. Um, They would refuse to have their pictures taken because they truly believed that the film or in this case, you know, the digital reel, if you will, uh, forever eternalized their soul Mm. and that they would become captors. So it's a, it's like a pretty common belief in really rural places of the Midwest. Oh.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, this, this also kind of harkens to the m r v Elf case, because uh, that being, when it appeared, was holding this little black box that kind of resembled a camera in many ways. Like uh, when it aimed it at uh, Arno Heinen and Esko Vilho, um, like there was, I don't know if it was necessarily light, but it was kind of like, uh, um, kind of might've been light. I can't remember. It's been a while since I covered it, but, um, they, he definitely aimed it closer to one than the other. Uh, but it looked like, that uh, he was kind of just basically taking his picture. So, um, um, yeah i don't really blame her it's like uh are these people are are these just you know a couple on vacation right
3: (laughs) who doesn't want a good human photobomb too right (laughs) right. yeah
0: (laughs) along with one black stocking and a handful of carnations exactly Mm -hmm. exactly like
1: if you're not familiar with the place Maybe that's, you know, what they deal in. Maybe, you know, that's, uh, that's just, you know, part of the tourist trade. Now I'm going to assume that uh, the uh, Italian um, tourist trade is just all carnations and black stockings. That's it. <laughs> we've
0: we've nailed it. Know, maybe there is some um, society or culture or, um, of, of these beings somewhere that uses um, stockings and socks to, uh, like, power their craft. <laughs> yeah. and that's why um, socks end up missing so often as these interdimensional creatures are using them to power craft like, like Shrimpy was in the laundry room
2: that's and, uh, right A giant and, shrimp.
0: shrimp, from, from Bremerton um, and we yep. suspect sock theft so that's <laughs> right
3: that's where my socks are going <laughs> exactly
0: <They're gonna> <laughs> so if you're missing socks uh, take heart and know that you're uh. actually helping power interdimensional craft
1: I'm... Man, I work in a laundry room and what are you doing to me now?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh
1: no. His dreams are going to be so bad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Rosa, she... um, she ran to the carabinieri which is uh the italian kind of police force um i believe they're organized under their military and um she kind of just like told everybody including her priests her uh, uh friends and um they all seemed to describe her as trustworthy and like uh you know when investigators went back 17 years later she pretty much told the same story so uh it's uh, it, it's one of those iconic, uh, kind of stories that, uh, like, when you when you see the images of that, it, it it looks like it's from a fairy tale, but it's like, no, this woman claims to have actually mm-hmm. this happened to her. So, uh, real life fairy tales. We're we're bringing them to the podcast here. That's that's what we do. <laughs> um, so um. 1967 seemed to be kind of a busy year in France for uh, 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 figures that fit the Euphonome kind of... uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, descriptions here, and uh, there were these little singing creatures at arc Sous signon uh, in July of 1967. Radio stations and the press in France and Switzerland and even Luxembourg were in a fervor over the sighting that had taken place uh, on Monday, July 17th. It was at roughly 3 p.m. when a group of children decided to go to, for a walk through a field that was just outside of town, uh, Patricia Bepois, a five-year-old girl, had uh, pulled ahead of the group that uh, she was in by several meters. And kind of just out of nowhere, she just started to cry, turned back around, uh, and ran uh, just like past these kids. And she made it all the way home through these heavy sobs and recounted to her mother that she had seen several small men sitting by a bramble bush. Um, And uh, in response to her intrusion, one of these beings started to walk over in her direction. And I don't blame you beat feet, get the hell out of there. You don't, you don't know what they're going to do. So um, overhearing her story, Joelle Ravier and her brother and friend, uh, Marie Lorraine Moreau walked out into this field, and Joel's brother was kind of the first to spot this like vertical column of this yellow light that was coming. Out of uh, out of this field, and the three pressed into the field where they saw this small being running incredibly fast in the bushes. Like uh, the the main difference here is that they didn't see a group of beings; they only saw one. But uh, they described this being as kind of uh, dark complected, and it was wearing a short jacket that flowed behind it. Again, these things have fashion sense. Whether you um, you know it's uh it's I I'm picturing like a members only jacket here. Like that's the only way um, I think that that's uh, kind of fitting here, but uh, you know, they moved as fast as they like in, and the way that they described their movements, it was like their legs just moved like faster than they should, which is kind of hilarious to think about. Wow. uh and they had what they described as like kind of bellies on them. Um, similar to, I think the way that the, the Loveland frog men were described because the Loveland frog men didn't look like frogs. They kind of just looked like these little rotund figures. Um, I don't, I still don't know why they, they, they uh, conflated them with frogs, but uh, yeah, they kind of looked, a little similar to that, but, um,
0: as a, as a little rotund figure myself, um, I'm <laughs> a little, I have to take exception to that.
1: <laughs> Look, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, little rotund figure that's, uh, telling these stories. So I know how it is, man. I know how it is. <laughs> Uh, So this uh, this fearless trio of kids runs over into this bramble bush, but they're unable to find this little man. And instead, they just kind of heard this strange voice speaking in a sing songy way. And that's when they got a little scared and uh, they decided to run out of there and you know, some reports would later distort what Joelle had seen because she kind of became the main witness in this case. Uh, she like, there was some claiming that, uh, the shape of the being's head was like a potato. So, you know, I don't know what that is, but, uh, it's (laughs) potato head of beings. Like, you know, why, why not? But, uh, after six days, evidence of the beings having been there could still be seen in these like patches of yellow grass nestled among the greener portions, which could be anything. But, um, you know, uh, they seemed to think it was significant, though. Uh, one explanation for it was uh, uh, cows that were coming through it, peeing on the grass. So, you know, peeing cows could be you
0: never know (laughs) explains a lot of things actually honestly
1: (laughs) honestly it just explains so much and then like every time i you know something goes wrong in my life uh i'm just gonna turn around and say could have been a pee and cow (laughs) there you go (laughs) yeah exactly like that is the new fail safe Uh, i encourage everyone to start using that The Um, newscast,
0: the newscast is cow cow urine,
1: (laughs) cow urine. To uh, see that cow, it's peeing, peeing right over there. Yeah, (laughs) just uh, do it casual. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people will buy it. Um, uh, the other case in France that year is the case known as the Cusac Devils, and um. Uh, this was a, a case investigated by Joel Mesnard, uh, and, and it's kind of it's become a classic in French ufology. At around 1030 a.m. on August 29th, uh, Francois De Pleu and his sister Anne-Marie were accompanied by their dog, Midor and they were kind of tending their family's cattle in this meadow beside route D 57. And just as it looked as if the cows were just going to kind of cross the road and over this uh, low wall, Francois got up and uh, he, he was going to go usher them back. And that's when he noticed kind of like what looks like four little children on the other side of the road. So Francois, he called over to Anne-Marie and the two both kind of looked over and they see this like kind of big sphere that's partially hidden by some hedges. But it's so bright that you really couldn't miss it. And one of the figures that they could see was kind of bent over in front of this uh, giant luminous ball. And it seemed to be interested in soil because, you know, that's what aliens do they uh they dig that soil man got to got to collect as much as they can so it's uh,
0: because they're collecting soil microbes yeah that's my that's my yeah. current theory <laughs> that's your current theory i'm going with it yeah they're collect they're okay. looking for microbes
1: microbes okay uh because um you know i i there's stories i keep running into man uh the um the stonehenge incident of 1975 in new jersey I don't know why 10 aliens needed 12 bags of soil, but um, they got it, man. They got it. What's interesting about these beings is, like, they almost, uh, the way that they're depicted, they're they're kind of these all-black figures. They kind of look like animated shadows in a way, but, like, darker than an actual shadow. Um, and, like there was also like a reflectiveness to what they were wearing or, or what they were. It's tough to make out exactly, you know, what we're dealing with here. But Francois then called out to them, have you come to play with us? (laughs) 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 And uh, the beings responded quickly by flying up, into the top of this giant luminescent ball and um what's interesting is like uh you know the first one goes up second one goes up third one goes up the fourth one is about to go up and then he goes back down to pick up this like object that he had left on the ground then he goes back up into this object and then it kind of climbs into the air and uh The object starts to climb into the air before the being can get up there. So as it's ascending, this being flies up and into this object. uh, And it kind of created this high-pitched whistling noise as it was going upward. And it made several circles, which caused this light to grow brighter. And we do have a sulfurous smell that accompanied the sighting. So um, when all the sound eventually died down, this object just kind of took off at fast speed um the sighting itself like the way that they just because of the way that they describe them like these figures were devoid of like any detail at all like they Mm -hmm. they had no like distinct facial features they're all kind of like short but like just these solid black forms um And following the encounter, Anne-Marie's eyes apparently watered for approximately 30 minutes and she had trouble sleeping, which is kind of par for the course, I think, with like a lot of close encounter cases, especially, uh, you know, with the the Ohio Valley stuff in the 66 and 67 with uh, your conjunctivitis and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's interesting to kind of see that
0: play out here. Yeah these guys you know they appeared as like living shadows or or whatever <clears throat> and when i think about you know those peering through the window um obviously <laughs> <it's terrifying>. no <laughs> but, but it begs the question to me of what if something that looked more like a traditional like david the gnome like remember david the gnome tv <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or like that book you know because it's same kind of you know, archetype of the gnome with the with my big red hat on and all that kind of right. stuff. Like, what if it was David, the gnome peeking through your window? Would that be like less creepy or would be, would it be even more disturbing because it, it is this recognized archetype of some kind? Um, I didn't like, I, I think
1: gnomes in general kind of have a uh, more benevolent attitude toward towards them because like we, like the the lawn gnome has become like this signature symbol and like even at christmas time now like there are a lot of gnome like figures and decorations that people put out it's become this kind of commercial thing where you can go into like some home decor store and you'll see like decorative gnomes like all over the place and not even just the kind that you would keep in your garden but like you know they have plush gnomes i have like you know a few plush gnomes uh, uh i own a few so it's like it, it's it's become this cultural thing so maybe it would be easier to um handle but like the the gnomes that you you buy in your stores you don't see their eyes because their hats are always over their eyes and they have these right. like beards but like maybe maybe it'd be cool I'm, i might be okay with that um i am going to retitle this podcast rob Kristofferson's nightmare factory after this episode though
3: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i feel like there needs to be some sort of like big wig horror director come through and give us the scary but super casual gnome horror story that we all need
1: (laughs) Right. so um, we need like the Cujo version of the gnome story I get it we do
3: we need to show the most traditional cute gnome and it needs to just be terrible
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah yeah yeah, that's fair. When we start our horror movie production company, that'll be the first. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh,
0: my gosh. We need to have a contest now for people to come up with punny uh, titles for a horror movie featuring gnomes. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but I'm sure there are people out there.
1: Oh, there's there's got to be. There There definitely has to be. Um, (laughs) we are constructing your new nightmares as we speak on this podcast uh yeah um i think what's interesting here is that not only do we have encounters in europe but we have counters in in brazil of all places and like i stumbled across these two sightings out of like nowhere because like one of the things that I like to do is when I find new resources somebody points me to new resources online and I'm kind of barely vaguely familiar with like the publications that are in them and it's like and I think to myself oh yeah they've got this in here I'll just like start perusing so I started perusing the SB bulletins which is uh brazil's kind of like flying saucer club um and i just kind of picked a random issue and i get two euphonome stories out of nowhere uh i did have help trans uh, th- someone did translate them for me uh and uh this first story is uh, It involves a woman de, uh, named uh, Maria de Figueiredo, um, and she worked on her family's farm, and the family, uh, one of the crops that they grew was corn. Um, she had gone out with her brothers um, into the fields early in the morning. And this was a nice day, you know, with the gentle breeze. It's kind of picturesque here. And uh, Maria was out, you know, kind of just paying attention for snakes and stuff in the fields. And it was around 9.30 a.m. when the strong gust of wind moved through the field. And it was accompanied by this quick snap behind her. And standing roughly 10 feet away was a small figure that stood three or so feet tall. And behind this creature was a small craft that stood just just about um like probably like uh about as tall as the figure but about seven or so feet wide it looked very metallic bearing this like kind of small propeller on the front of it when you look at the um depictions of this craft it's like very archaic looking like it looks kind of like um it's very UFO-like, but with the small propeller on the front, it's just—it's a bit comical to me. I like it. Um, I kind of want to know where I can get one uh, and and fly it around. But uh, it, it had this like glass dome on top, and it was hovering about three feet off the ground. Quote: When asked, she explained that the being's head was ovoid and long, that the small man. Who had appeared uh, had a well manicured mustache, which I dig. We've got mustaches here, and like kind of scarce hair, cut in a circular shape. So now, what I am picturing is uh, we've got Hulkamania in this cornfield, like miniature Hulkamania uh, <laughs> going wild for corn right now, and um, definitely like the the description of this being is hilarious because it's like. This being has a receding hairline and a mustache. I, um, or, or I'm also kind of picturing like, um, I, you know, yeah, I think Hulk Hogan kind of really. Captures this being, um, the the image of this being in in kind of the perfect way. Um, and it wore a, a vest superimposed to its shirt, uh, which uh, which is interesting. It's interesting uh, apparel here. And hanging from its neck, it brought a medallion with strange symbols that were indecipherable to her. Another figure kind of remained inside the craft, and it was only visible from about the shoulders up. Maria watched the small figure in front of her walk through the field. And it was kind of plucking an ear of corn and it seemed to examine it very carefully, Uh, you know, just bringing it up to its uh, uh, face and such. And uh, he started to make these gestures to Maria that she uh, assumed meant uh, that this being was wondering if, The corn was edible. So uh, she also had the impression that this being was communicating with the being inside the uh, craft, too. So she um, the being returned to the field and shortly after it waved to its companion and then it returned to the ship and the craft lifted up. And their small dog that had accompanied Maria out into the field uh, started to bark like crazy. It didn't bark before then, but when the craft started to lift off, it did. And uh, it broke some um, branches on a nearby tree. So I think this is my favorite story because like um, just the way that this figure is described is is just beautiful. I, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something brother if this corn is edible i'm gonna be coming back for a whole lot more <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is that this is the picture that um yeah you, yeah you're this you people if you're listening you've got to see this picture yeah um, i'll post it it's, it's awesome i mean he kind of actually what you know what he reminds me of? he doesn't like to me it doesn't scream wrestler because i'm not no um, I'm not in that into that as much but to me it screams like um early 90s like madchester british mm-hmm. like like it it looks like it's wearing a tracksuit yes like a, yeah. um like a, what do you call that there's like a british term uh like a chav or something like is it chav you know what i'm talking about
1: um i'm not i, I know what you're talking about i'm not sure what they're called but like, yeah disaffected
0: it does. youth of of britain in this era who like live in the you know, British um, version of you know public housing, and wear tracksuits and like gold necklaces, and or um, or it looks like um, you know like a British something from like a Guy Ritchie movie. Like he's like <laughs> you know, like this. I really think he's this guy's planning a heist.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's Ocean's Eleven out in this field, and you know what the the corn is like. You know, it's money it's it's basically money so you got to think he's he's kind of scouting it out you know he's going to be back you know he's going to be plucking a bit more corn because like why not i mean we have corn and everything in this country it's it's uh there's a
0: lot of corn here and and the so, craft, the craft looks like something that you would be able to like that's something that like a rich person would buy from like one of those old sky mall catalogs
1: exactly exactly <laughs> like a
0: personal um ufo like, <laughs>
1: like right right with a with a nice looking propeller on it i it's wow. uh it's fashionable i dig the ufos that kind of try to fit in a little bit in um in this uh in, in you know earth terms here we've got a little propeller because hey that's that's how some of our planes fly they use propellers so this uh is ufo um uh, i i dig i dig it's the old world uh model and make maybe it's like a used one off the lot you know like that thing is like a very old model and they just do not have like think about it they're out in this field trying to get corn they have no other plans this is a heist they're going to get this corn so they can get a better ride like we've just cracked it right here
0: this is <laughs> this is what it is back singer did you guys see the the pictures of this and it's, uh, it's in the uh, uh it's in uh, like in there, the
2: yeah, it's, it's in, in the course. article. Okay, I text I texted it to you. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. Amazing.
3: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> the dying almost looks like a pretzel.
1: Oh, the UFO pretzel. Yeah. The UFO pretzel. Uh
2: which is a message that came through to us on a uh, Woofo. Yes. Um, wow.
1: It's uh, it's definitely and, and you know there are what I love about this uh, publication in particular is like when you look at the artwork, it is very it's rough, but it's always great whenever mm-hmm. you see it. Um, <laughs> some of it's professionally done, but when there's like witness sketches, just absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Um, there was. Uh, uh, another sighting of a euphonome in Brazil in 1973 by a gentleman by the name of uh, Edmond Cardoso de Oliveira, and on Tuesday, uh, August, uh, sometime in August 1973, he was uh, peeling oranges on uh, a family farm. Again, we got we got farms here, so. We're going uh, you know, from vegetables to fruit, and um, this was in uh, Rio de Janeiro, and it was around eh, about two pm when this uh, particular sighting occurred. But uh, this farm kind of sits on the northern face of a valley, and it's where they grow they grow corn, coffee, uh, sugarcane, Uh, roses and like a bunch of different fruits. So uh, their yeah, their lunchtime was around 2 p.m. And that was when Edmond, he kind of noticed these leaves on a nearby tree that were were beginning to rustle. Uh, And it was kind of weird because all the other ones around it weren't, so it wasn't the wind. So through the branches of an orange tree, he could see a quote, shining ball. That appeared to be the color of blue aluminum, and it was roughly about two meters in diameter and it floated above the ground just a a small distance. Um, This direct quote from the uh, SBEDV bulletin kind of just, you know, captures it here. Uh, Quote, at a distance to the object object. Impressed by the sheen of the object, Edmond got even closer to it, up to about one meter away from the object, and noticed that on the superior part of the ball had a cylinder made of the same kind of metal. So what he's looking at is kind of just like this egg-shaped object that kind of has a cylinder on the top of it. Uh, uh, And it kind of just like widens into this uh, cone And uh, the cone cylinder structure spun slowly. Each rotation lasted from one to three seconds and was roughly counterclockwise when seen from above. Roughly 20 meters uh, from some nearby trees. And Mon noticed that the lower branches of a cedar tree, around 20 meters tall, also at 10 meters off the ground, this ball was found um, just kind of like uh, 25 feet away from this this tree. Edmond observed that the cone cylinder construct had a sway of a slow uh, inclination of about 50 centimeters and swayed from side to side, which led him to think that the construct could lose balance and fall on him. And as such, he moved about four meters back and in that movement turned his back to the ball He then heard a snap as if a metallic door opened, which really happened. He then saw on the inferior part of the ball a door approximately one meter tall by 50 or 70 centimeters wide. Through this door, he was able to verify the thickness of the walls, which were about five centimeters thick, and the interior of the ball was black as night. After standing there for a short period of time, a small figure emerged from the craft, and they floated in the air at about Edmund's height. So they were both looking at each other at eye level. Quote, the being was covered in black from head to toe. He was, however, of gray color in the following parts the knuckles the hands in apparent rounded and smooth form the shoes no heels of about 20 centimeters in length six centimeters wide and three centimeters thick a band of about six centimeters in width around the neck a mask that had orifices for the eyes and mouth the clothes were formed of a large portion of juxtaposed semi of variable diameter the biggest had some five centimeters in diameter. The semi got smaller as they approached the head and the extremities. There, they were about three centimeters in diameter and and adjusted uh, to articulated movements as if they had elasticity on their back. Uh, uh, There was like a gray box. It was smooth and metallic in aspect with dimensions of about 55 centimeters in height and width and 45 centimeters in length. From the being's ankles was projected backwards in a horizontal direction, a flexible, transparent and light, quote, treadmill of about 50 centimeters in length by five centimeters in width this treadmill got fainter at its edges and this was always visible on the steps hovering of the being so like i'm picturing like treadmill shoes on this thing uh as it's moving like this is this is sky mall type material for sure um but the being moved closer to edmund and um what's interesting is like It's floating, but it's also just kind of stepping in midair towards him. Uh, And, like, it could cover a decent amount of distance in a short period of time. But Edmund didn't stick around. He he ran as quickly as he could after that. Uh, And what's interesting is, like, there there were additional sightings in the area of other kind of similar objects. Uh, But, like, man... I don't know what it is with these farms and these UFO gnomes. They're just like, like you're. He's trying to enjoy his lunch break here. Give him a, you know, get away from him. God damn.
0: The I orange the shoes. Oh, go the ahead. Thing. No, I was just saying oranges. Oranges again. Oh
3: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, that's the. That's I saw like all of our faces as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as oranges were brought up. We were like ah, yeah. <laughs>
0: high alert yeah yeah should we talk about should we tell about our orange mystery should i think you should tell about the orange mystery i should let somebody i've been talking too much i'm gonna let garrett talk about it
2: (laughs) (laughs) uh the orange mystery well in the little town right outside of seattle called renton uh we know um this person named paul constant notified us that uh there's this pile of oranges outside of this uh the black river riparian forest on a trail and it's like a pretty massive pile, and they were all already peeled. Um, and he just reported to us like this is weird. And so we went and checked it out. Indeed, it is weird. Um, and then apparently, like what, like three months later, they they appeared again in the same location. Um, and so we started investigating further and we looked on like the Renton um Facebook groups and like this place in this by this forest, it's been happening for years. These mystery oranges just keep showing up. Um, and what's funny, what's kind of funny is that um, the same spot was already significant to Jeremy and I, because a couple of years earlier we had went there with our uh, kids uh, we were looking for this uh, urban legend thing called the Screaming Well, and we had been wandering around there, kind of like LARPing with our kids a little bit, like pretending we were going to go look for like kind of like Hobbit style, like Lord of the Rings uh, thing. You know, we're on a quest, and we mm-hmm. came out of the forest there, and we saw this guy who had these like goggles on with antennas on them, and he was leaning against a silver car, and we were just like, what is, what what is this? Uh, yeah. It felt like Doc Brown and Back to the Future or something. Mm. And then he he lifted the glasses up and he said, "Hey guys, want to fly?" And we're like, "What is going on?" <laughs> I and mean, we're just like freaking out. <laughs> like, "What is?" And he like lifted his trunk open and he had like extra pairs of goggles. And he put them on all of us and we like held he, he said, "You got to hold on to my car." And then he flew a drone around. So it was kind of like a mundane thing. I was like, okay, he, but he flew his drone around. But we could see ourselves outside of our bodies. Like, look at watch ourselves through the camera of this drone. That
1: that is that's freaky as hell. That gnome. is freaky. yeah, I know. Yeah, we've called him the
2: weird. drone gnome ever since we, then. The drone gnome. We call him yeah. the drone. He's like a modern gnome, you know, and like uh, and he would all and like he had like a, his own like little craft, and he like. We could see ourselves, out of like, gave us the gift of flight. And now there's these oranges that appear there all the time. Um, And it's like a mystery in Renton. No one knows where they're coming from. In fact, just today, this is an update, an exclusive. Someone Instagrammed us and said, like, I work in a building right next to it. And I've been wondering what those oranges, why they're there. And I'll tell you uh, a couple, I don't know when this happened, but she went into the back And there's a big dumpster, and she found piles and piles of orange peels, but no oranges over where the oranges are always seen. That's messed up. Yeah. So she's like, (laughs) What? So you've
1: got a bunch of orange peels in the dumpster, but yet you're putting the oranges, like, you know a few hundred feet away no that's messed up well because <laughs> like, people say they think that the, the orange
2: peels are being used to like at a bar or something and so that's why they're just throwing away the oranges but now whoever's doing this if it's the same situation they're also throwing away the peel they're peeling it and just throwing away the peels so what is why is this happening why are why is someone peeling oranges and leaving or peeled oranges there unless they're right you know, what is right. the deal with this whole situation? Know. It's, it's you know, you know a we Do
0: We're going to have to find those, that the peels and bring them to where the oranges are and try and match them all. <laughs> right. Like a puzzle. <laughs> like,
2: totally.
1: This has become a forensic investigation. We are going, we are going peel by peel. We have to do this.
2: Yeah. It's so strange.
1: Yeah. That is like, yeah, because like uh, if you if you all go check out the liminal earth uh, TikTok, you will see these oranges on there uh, as a, as I have uh, you know a few times now, and it's just like um, why just just why why random uh, like and it is a significant pile of oranges. That's a lot of oranges, and it's like it makes no sense that the peels are not with the oranges. Like they're separated. Like my mind cannot wrap itself around this concept of why you would put peels in a dumpster, but you just put all these oranges out there. What the hell?
2: And we went, we went again recently and there was no oranges, but we found a carton of orange juice that's sitting there in the same spot. Like what is going on with this place?
1: (laughs) now they're just fucking with you yeah
2: (laughs)
3: exactly
1: it's like oh you're on to the oranges well what what would you do with orange juice Uh, (laughs) it's diabolical
2: yeah
3: well the thing too is like if you were to isolate each of those events um they could i could see them being lackluster to some people like totally and and a lot of people are, are very quick to give us like a list of explanations. Um, but what I, I think is so interesting is when you put all these together, um, how can that not be weird? How, right. how do we find a carton of orange juice in the exact spot where these oranges were? How are we running into people um, at the local trail? And they're saying, yeah, those have been happening for years and yeah. uh, it all accumulates. And so we were uh, doing a woofo with Jim Perry. It was uh, Garrett, me and Jim and they were talking about having a gift for us, and it was that next morning when we received the email about the second pile of oranges appearing. Um, and so, the theme of gifts with our Wufa is one thing, but it seems to be especially um, revolved around the oranges themselves. This—they're uh, they, presented as gifts to us, and in all these different forms, and it's really bizarre.
1: <laughs> it is like. It's excessive. So now you have to you have to wonder how do I up my ante because that's a lot of oranges. What do you what do you offer in return? You know, mm-hmm. because uh, like <clears throat> you've got to take into consideration volume here. Volume speaks numbers like quite <laughs> literally.
0: <laughs> One of the things though that Bex just mentioned made me think of something, which is hearing all of these like you know i mean i've i'm i've just kind of been a dabbler in the the ufo humanoid uh world because that's where i think some of the weirdest stories come from and they fascinate Mm -hmm. me for that reason um but it wasn't until you know i started reading the the cases that you had collected and then the other one that um i had mentioned before uh with which is the 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 mince pie aliens um Mm -hmm. and when, when presented with all of these stories together, the similarities become way more, um, pronounced, I would say Mm -hmm. like that. It makes it even weirder. Like individually, these cases are weird, but then there's like, there's a lot of things in like a lot of the stories that we've talked about so far that are similar to this story that I was familiar with. And, um, it, it just, it's like, there's, there's, there's something there, there to me with these, with these, euphonomes as it were
1: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um this uh this next story is um it it gets that it gets back to this point that i made on twitter um go out and start fishing because there's a chance that you could have an encounter with a ufo or something like that because one of the common themes that I keep running into is people who are fishing that, uh, you know, have alien encounters. Um, you, you have um, Jose Antonio Da Silva was fishing when he was abducted by his UFO gnomes. Uh Ryan Sprague, of all people, was fishing when he had his UFO encounter. Um, Albert Berteau. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Albert Patel, but uh, he was doing night fishing and he saw this UFO land near him. And uh, these beings approached him and they beckoned him to come to their craft. And he steps inside the object and there's this like kind of like uh, like beam of light that's being projected down from the ceiling. And he hears a voice in his head that says step into the beam. So he steps into it, and two seconds later, he hears another voice that says, "You can go. You are too old and infirm for our purposes."
3: <laughs> okay, rude. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: right. Shade. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like, uh, yeah. If you um, if you're fishing. And you want to have a UFO encounter, there's a good chance that it could happen. So uh, Giorgio Filipputi, uh, this is another Italian case. Uh, This is uh, Monday, September 18th, 1978. He's a railway employee, husband and father, and he decided to go fishing in the uh, Corno River. And uh, it's near uh, an irrigation canal, the Zumiel irrigation canal. And as he sat there, uh, the stillness of the lake was kind of broken by this piercing whistle, which uh, is something that keeps coming up. And he kind of likened it to the sound of a helicopter in a way. And nearby there was a steel plant that uh, he kind of, you know, fingered as the culprit in this situation. But there was a strange spiral movement that he kind of like uh, noticed behind him. Um, that made him second guess everything. Um, but whatever was, whatever was causing it, he noticed that there were these ripples on the water and uh, the nearby vegetation was kind of just swaying back and forth. And this kind of strong wind that was coming in before, uh, you know, kind of forced him to abandon uh, his fishing. Cause it, you know, like UFOs, if you're, if you're causing wind, you're going to ruin a fisherman's day. Just don't do it. Like, maybe, you know, pick a different time. Like, this this is this dude's off time. Let him fish. But, um, you know, I digress here. Um, at the top of a, a nearby embankment, sitting upon this kind of, like, dry mud flat, was this very small disc-shaped craft. It was 1.5 meters or, like, five feet tall. The craft looked to be made of kind of, like, this brassy yellowish metal. And... Um, It was very reflective. It didn't have any windows on it or anything, but it stood on these three kind of um, um, relatively long legs. And, you know, the craft was consisted of this flat disc portion that kind of had this couple on top of it. Uh, But, like, you could just look down at this thing because it wasn't very high off the ground. Um, And, you know, all of these parts... Uh, They looked like they were molded out of a single piece of metal, but they were each uh, distinguishable. And then this strange, incredibly short figure appeared on top of the craft from right behind the cupola on the right hand side. Quote, my first thought for a moment was of the physical appearance of the inhabitants of certain Asian countries. Well, his external appearance was pretty comparable to that of someone originating from those distinct regions. His height was maybe about 1 meter uh, point, uh, 0.30. In any case, it wasn't any taller than 1 meter point forty. And he was wearing a completely tightly fitting overall of the color and brightness of silver, which flashed and sparkled vividly in the sunlight in which left only the front part of the head from the forehead to the chin exposed on his feet. He had boots of the height of those worn by paratroopers and of a smoky black color. His face, dark bronze has had almond shaped eyes extending backwards towards where his ears would be, which I did not see because that part of the head was covered by the overall nose and mouth were quite normal. From the moment that I observed him, particularly his eyes, I could see that these were wide open, with pupils that appeared to me to be a bit bigger and a bit more protruding than those of certain inhabitants of Asian countries. Again, he gets he goes on and on about that uh, for whatever reason. But um, the, the interesting thing is, is like the way I'm describing it in a in a follow up issue, they redraw the sketch and it it doesn't. You know, a lot of the features are maintained, but um, some of them are different, Um, particularly the eyes. The eyes look more normal in the follow up sketch. Um, I must also tell you that the single piece garment that this being was wearing looked as though fashioned entirely of fish scale, which is interesting here. We're fishing. Uh, And uh, that he was wearing approximately at waist level two containers of the same color as his boots and measuring about 15 centimeters high by eight centimeters width, which looked like cartridge cases and gave the definite the definite impression of being held up by something. His hands were clad in white gloves from the moment the figure walked around, he entered a staring contest with Giorgio. Uh, The pair gripped in this kind of like they were both like terrified of each other as they looked, uh, you know, as they kept staring at each other. Um, And then the man just the short figure just started kind of started to resume what he was doing. And uh, he just like examined parts of his ship and he kept looking up at him like, dude, you're just going to stand there and look at me all day or what? Like, I'm just trying to get stuff done here. So he's walking around on this craft for about three or four minutes and he just keeps looking up, keeps looking up. And then um, uh, it took him about five minutes to fix what was ever, whatever problem that he was having. And then uh, he enters back inside through the cupola uh, on the top of it. And seconds later, the slow rumble... And this uh, piercing whistle stabbed the, stabbed the air. It was kind of piercing to his ears. And the object uh, rose vertically, emitting this kind of bluish flame from the bottom. And it turned on its edge, departing toward the south, becoming this glowing ball in the sky. And the craft left these three imprints in the dry mud from the legs that it was standing on. Giorgio slowly made his way out of there, running into a fisherman along the way. He tried to convince him of what he had seen, but, uh, you know, he was pretty incredulous about it. The fisherman convinced Giorgio to come to the bar with him. And upon entering, he overheard a patron talking about a UFO sighting that he had just had before he showed up. So he kind of got some, a little bit of confirmation there afterward. Giorgio, he, he wouldn't really tell anyone about the incident. Um, but it, Bothered him so much that he just kind of stopped Fishing after that uh, Eventually it was his brother That uh, told him to tell his Story uh, to the local press But like the Images associated And, and then there's one in particular uh, Of the short figure Standing on this object actually I'll, I'm sure I shared it with Y'all but I'll, I'll send it to this uh, To the group text here or the Group twitter because this image is priceless um, and I will share it on social media because like it's just so wild like I think his height estimations were off because like he's saying it's like one meter um, and and such but I think he was a little shorter than, than uh, one meter but like the figure that I'm looking at here in this image is like gotta be no more than like eight to 10 inches tall, like just very small.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And like this, this bronze disc, but like, it's such a, it's such a fantastic story. Yeah. I, I I love that one. Um,
3: like the golden egg, you guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is like the golden egg from the Oracle of the Hypogeum, our Oracle deck. <laughs> we have this golden egg, which is like a mis- mysterious card that kind of looks like a, like that craft. It also kind of looks like um, like a miner's helmet, like mm-hmm. with a big with a light on the front of it, you know, for yep. going into the mines. Yep,
2: uh, it definitely is. has that kind of appearance. Yeah, for sure. Some of the one of the earlier cases, the one with the the stockings and the carnations, those mm-hmm. helmets have like what looks like a little light on them as well, like a, yeah, a little bit, yeah, like a miner's light, which goes back to that earth elemental thing or whatever in the. Minerals and yeah, totally. Yep,
0: I think and it's unseen, it has, like it does look like fish scales. Yeah, you know, fishermen would see. Um, you know, maybe it was a shape shifting fish, fish.
1: fish. <gasps> a shape shifting fish. Oh,
0: damn, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: in our year of the humanoids episode, we talked about this one encounter that this uh, one individual had and what he saw inside this ufo um from a window was a um a being that looked like a catfish with one eye like it it had the distinct like whiskers and kind of like facial features of a cat it's a catfish its skin looked like kind of wet a little bit but like it was anthropomorphic (laughs)
3: It sounds like something that you would find wash up on the Ohio river. <laughs> oh, Oh, totally.
1: Totally. Um, you know, it is like, it would give the Montauk monster a run for its money.
3: For sure. <laughs> wow. It's so funny because like my ancestry on my dad's side is actually quite literally catfish fishermen in the Ohio river Valley. Um, and so I'm like, uh, you know, I've, I've been asking my dad for years and years and years. Um, Please, please tell me if you ever see anything strange. And I think that he's actively like not telling me on purpose because he's he's a fisherman, he's fished his whole life. Um, and and he's also a gold miner. And so it's like you're literally outside constantly. There's countless reports of folks seeing things doing the exact thing you're doing. What's wrong? Like, why won't you tell me? <laughs> it's, <at> least, <laughs> it's like 50 years of experience you have here, man. Come on. <laughs>
1: Now you're going to have to start interrogating him. It's just, you know, the okay. way it's got to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we're not leaving this gold mine until you tell me.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're we're all trapped in here and I won't let you out until you tell me dark <laughs> stories. <laughs> tell me the dark stories, old man. My
3: dad's kind of like, isn't here's another Spongebob reference for you. My dad's kind of like that guy, though, that talks and talks and talks. And so he would like, we always joked that if he got kidnapped, he would be returned to. <laughs> <laughs> so be like, hmm. <laughs> Or I would I would yeah, I'd have him hostage and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Never <No> mind. <laughs> I like, think I'm a talker. He is he is on one. <laughs> Anyways.
1: Amazing. I love it. I love it. So the last story that I have is 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 it's one of my favorites. Uh and it's just like one that I stumbled upon when I was like I think I typed gnomes into like uh, Google or something like that. And this is the case of the Wollaton Park gnomes of 1979. And like, even though they don't have UFOs, there are other vehicles involved here. Um, and this is from a website called the Fairy folklorist, um, quote, in 1979, a small group of children were wandering the park early one evening when much to their surprise, they were chased by gnomes in motor cars. Certainly not your typical fairy sighting. The children said there were the there were around 30 cars in all with two gnomes in each car. The cars made no motor noise, but had a button Bell installed uh, instead of a horn and triangular-ish lights, and the gnomes leaned to uh, to steer the wheel. Another child said they had no steering wheels, just a round thing that turned with a handle on it. The cars could also jump over logs. The gnomes were described uh, by one child as about half the size of me, and they had long white beards with with red at the bottom, and they had little white and red cars, and they were chasing us. Another child described the beards as long and black. They wore tights instead of trousers, and some of them were torn with yellow patches on, and they, uh, and they wore blue tops and a green cap with a big bobble at the end. The gnomes had old, wrinkled faces uh, and were friendly, and they laughed joyfully. One child said that they didn't talk. Another said they shouted at each other, but not in a language that he understood. One child said he could see them clearly as there was a light hanging in the trees. On this occasion, the gnomes chased the children, but one child mentions that they had seen the gnomes previously another night, but they just ran off rather than chasing the children. One of the children mentions the gnomes chasing them by the gates, and the children ran out of the gates, but the gnomes didn't follow them out. And the child thought this could be because they don't come out in the light and might have... uh, basically saying that if they came out in the light, they would die. Uh, in, tra- in the transcripts, uh, the children give the location as the, quote, swamps. And one said, quote, they were back in the bushes. There's wire around them, a fence. That's where they get in. We went in the bushes when it was daytime and we couldn't see nothing, just trees and swamps. Another child mentions the swamp as having a big fence around it. And normally you can't go in there. You have to keep out. The third transcript mentions a gnome coming out, quote, the hole where the fence was. And the children saw gnomes coming out of the holes in the top of the trees. And the the child says, we just went over to the fence to look at them. And when we went closer to them, they went back in their holes, one of the children was said to have fallen into the swamp during the chase. So presumably the children entered the forbidden fenced off area, end quote. Uh, so uh, it's just a beautiful image of gnomes chasing kids with cars. Like this is, you know, uh, this, this, is, I need more of this. I need, I need a, a TV show pronto. Of-
0: this is this is the blockbuster movie right
1: here. Yeah. This yeah. is it. Yeah, this is um, uh, what what the heck is that Tom Cruise movie? Days of Thunder. I think we need that, but with gnomes. Uh, gnomes, of know, like, yes, <laughs> gnomes of Thunder. Yes, gnomes of Thunder.
0: Yes, I yeah. like that. You know, their stories matched. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the swamp and the fence and things like that. Um, yeah what's with that it kind of
1: reminds me a little bit of the aerial school landing and that the area where the encounter was said to have taken place was kind of the forbidden area where the kids weren't allowed to go to so right? yeah yeah.
0: the swamp like was it is, I, I mean I don't know it, it was is there actually a swamp in that area was it just a word the kids were using to describe part of the park or i think there was a
1: swamp in the area um but yeah i'm not i'm not really sure like it's
0: uh it's weird it's it's very weird that story is fantastic it is um you should illustrate it like there's a there's a there's a book or there's a a children's book in there somewhere there are
1: there are some illustrations with this Um, um yeah um let me yeah. i have some of them downloaded on my phone uh this is one of the images that the kids drew
0: <laughs> oh even better so, Let's see. uh this
1: this is this is a more like probably a, <laughs> this is a better depiction of it this was uh it was Jose Antonio Cardavaca online who shared this. Uh, this image is great.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> it's just, it looks like a disgruntled old man with a long beard and a long hat, just like behind the wheel of a, a funny looking car with a dome on top of it.
0: Wow. Yeah. First one, the gnome looks like, so I, I guess it's supposed to be a beard, but it almost looks like a tentacle. Yeah. And that's kind of creepy. <laughs>
1: That is that's all the that's all the gnome stories I got the euphonomes. Uh, is there anything that you all want to add?
0: I I don't know if we if we have enough time. Um, so that the the mince pie gnomes like that's just such an awesome story. It would be fun just to to chat about for a second if we have yeah. time. Yeah. Do you are you, Garrett, you really... Are you familiar with the the story?
3: I'm not. No.
2: I I read it earlier and I noticed that one of the photos is I'm pretty sure the same photo that's in one of those Time Life books. Mm -hmm. Like I recognize this, I recognize this, and I don't know why I'm going to continue reading, but I did anyways, and it was it's a good one. I think we should do it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a scary one though. I,
2: I, I know, mean, but it's, just like, it's
1: not, it's not.
2: But have re- like, seen that image of what, I mean, I'm like, I remember being terrified of this and this weird, the weird angle that it is. That, that yeah. yeah so, that. This
0: one is, it's always been one of my favorite ones. Um, I can't remember where I originally heard it either. Maybe it was the same place, um, but uh, it was, it was in the the flying saucer review um, 1979 in the November uh, the November edition. Um, and it, it was, uh, Ms. Mrs. Jean. I don't know if it's Hingley or Hingley. Um, I'm going to say Hingley. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, that's right. And, uh, it's, it's from the, the UK. It's in, uh, it's, it's in, it's Roly Regis. Like this very, that's a very like small British town name, like Roly mm-hmm. Roly Regis. I live in Roly Regis near Birmingham. Um, so I guess, you know, it's a council house, which is like, I think it's one of those row houses, those that you see in like, you know, in, in British suburbs. Um, the, this is interesting though. They, they live near a quarry, um, which I thought, you know, with the association with rocks and mining and things like that. Um, so it's Jean and she lives with her husband, Cyril and an Alsatian dog named Hobo. Um, and uh, they, they all work at like, so she works at a factory making soundproofing for cars, and the husband works at the cement works. Um, and she says, so the house has a small front garden and a small lawn at the back, about 17 feet by 11 feet. Uh, there's a carport um, and a door opens to the road at the back of the house. Um, so on January 4th, in 1979, at seven o'clock in the morning, I, I guess, I, it's actually, she didn't say if it's in the morning, but I'm assuming it's in the morning because her husband it, is. Yeah. Her husband is going to work. So uh, she stands at the back door and she's waving him off. um, And the dog is there too. And so she sees that there's a light in the garden and thinks, oh, well, he's, he must've left the light on in the carport. Um, So she goes down to the garden to the carport, but the lights off. So then she says, she, she turns around to go back to the house, but sees an orange light over the garden that gradually turns white. Uh, It lights up the whole garden. Um, she and the dog went in back into the house through the back door, and suddenly, with a sound like, Z! 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 Three <laughs> beings floated past her through the door into the house. And they were glowing with a really bright light and floating about a foot above the floor. Um, and then she saw, they kind of floated past her into her, like, living room, and she saw that they had wings, but they weren't, like functional angel wings um they were kind right. of more like um like if you look at the description at the read the description and the drawing it's almost like to me it makes me think of like uh, dragonfly wings almost uh, right. shimmery kind of rainbowy um and of course like she was of course terrified and the dog was really affected by it um he seemed to hobble to his bowl swaying from side to side and his hair was sticking out all over like a hedgehog's uh, and then he just flopped down and lied down on the floor stiff with his eyes open. Um, she says after, a, after a little bit of time, she suddenly just wasn't afraid anymore. Um, which is, I, I think that's an interesting aspect of, of a lot of UFO and visitation stories is like, all of a sudden you can't feel fear. Like everything's fine. Um, she couldn't move or, or speak, but then all of a sudden she could, um, she kind of felt like she was a different person and describes herself as floating onto her lounge her sofa. Um, She says it was bitterly cold outside, but she felt warm. Um, And then they they had a Christmas tree, and these creatures, she could hear it shaking. Like the creatures were doing something with it, causing the Christmas tree to shake, uh, but she couldn't see because the light they were emitting was so bright. Um, And then finally, the light kind of... um, turns down and she says it felt like they read her mind and like turned down the light so that she could um finally actually see when she she took her hands away from her eyes and they were like messing with the christmas tree they were like tugging at it and stuff and i guess this is the first time she saw them clearly so she describes them three little slim men in silvery green tunics and silver waistcoats with silver buttons or press studs and i guess i don't know if that means like a like a snap button kind of. Mm, Yeah. Um, They were about three feet, six inches to four feet high, um, all alike, all identical. Um, They had pointed hands and feet and they were covered in the same like clothing. It looked like the same silvery green. They had pointed caps on their heads uh, and they had like a, something that looked like a lamp on top. Um, And then they had transparent fishbowl helmets over their, over their heads they rested on their shoulders. Um, they didn't have eyebrows or ears. They did kind of like resemble gray aliens, like the face. They do,
1: yeah. You, they, they they look they look like gray aliens with wings,
0: basically. Yeah, and like conical caps with like a um, yeah. a light on top. That it's more it's more like a like an anglerfish light to me. Than like, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, no eyebrows or ears. Uh, she said their faces were waxy and white, and they had black diamond eyes. Um, but she says they were, they were almost like precious stones, like black diamonds. Um, the wings were large oval shaped and glowing with rainbow colors, more beautiful than our earthly colors. And they were colored, uh, they were covered in dots like braille. Um, and she says, this is a cool quote. She's a quote. Our colors seemed like chemical colors compared to them and chemical is in quotes. So I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, But I guess they were like floating around her living room and like touching stuff like the Christmas cards and the clock and the radio. And then finally she kind of regained the ability to speak. And she said, you know, there's three of you and one of me. What are you going to do? What do you want with me? Uh, They put their hands to their chests. They press their chests with their hands and they seem to manipulate the buttons on their clothes. And she says a bleep sound came from each one of their chests And then she heard their voices all together, but they didn't move their mouths. So, you know, I don't know if she heard it in her head, but it said they said, we shall not harm you. Um, And then she says, where have you come from? And they said, we came from the sky. And then they started to, like, mess with the Christmas tree again. Um, And there was a little fairy on top and it fell off. And, like, she couldn't move to pick it up. She was paralyzed. And she, But she said, "Um, we put up a tree at Christmas because we believe Jesus was born then. And they said, Mm -hmm. we know all about Jesus. (laughs) 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 So the next thing they did, they stopped messing with the tree, I guess, but they were looking at the newspaper that she had on the table. And I guess there were like, there was a picture of the queen. um, And the queen was like, I don't know, making people lords somehow, like whatever ceremony that is that they make them lords. And she says, you know, these people have been made lords. And they responded and said, there is only one lord. And so, <laughs> right. like, and, and she says, well, you should go talk to the queen because, like, the, the queen's a, be- a real lady. And then they said, you know, and, but I, I'm just a working woman. Um, and they responded and said, you are a lady. Um, and then they started, like, they sat on the couch and they started, like, bouncing on the couch like children, she said. So these like little winged beings are in her living room, like fucking with the Christmas tree and like bouncing <laughs> on the couch. Like, um, but she got messed up with that. She got, she got upset about that. She said, you know, be careful of my furniture. And then they stopped. Um, but when she she, when they, when they, when she spoke sharply with them, they turned the light back on again. And so she was like, Oh, okay, maybe I better be a little nicer. Yeah. Um. So they, she says they felt like they, they seemed like friendly and, you know, she started to say, it was nice to see you, and they repeated nice. Um, they they just kind of kept on, like, picking stuff up, like tapes from the tape recorder that she had, um, and cigarettes, and, um, you know, wine and sherry, and they were just, like, messing with stuff in the house. And she asked if they wanted something to drink, and, of course, they said water, and they said it three times. So she went to the kitchen, and she brought four glasses of water. She wanted... She was thinking, like, well, I'm going to give them water. And she, she says, I'm going to bring a cup for myself to drink to show them that it's not poisoned, uh, which I think is very conscientious of her. I don't know right. if I would like, have the wherewithal <laughs> at that moment to think, like, oh, I better drink some too so they know I'm not trying to poison them. Um, so she, she started walking out with the water and the tray that the cups were on. Like, she was having a hard time holding it because it seemed to be like magnetized towards them. Um, So she puts the tray down on the table. Each of them pick up a glass. She picked hers up, but when they saw her watching them, they put the light on so she couldn't see them. And then they turned the light back off and put the glasses back on the tray, and the water was all gone. Uh, So then they start talking, and they said, we've been to Australia, New Zealand, and America. We come down here to try to talk to people, but they don't seem interested. And she says, "Shall I tell people on Earth about it?" And they said, "Yes." And they said, "We've been here before. We're going to come again." And then they said, "Everyone will go to heaven. There are beautiful colors there." So they they put a light on her. Um, that she says they seem to put a light on me to draw out the words that that they wanted to hear. Um, she started getting nervous, and then they were just started talking about like politics and current events. And she says. Um, you know, she was saying I- women are finally going to work and it's, But she says, but it's a man's world. Um, and they seem really interested and exciting about this. And then she said she hasn't gone to chapel or church for a year or two because chapels have pop groups and guitarists these days. And she doesn't like that kind of service. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so then they told her there's no need to worship in synagogues. And apparently, like, she didn't know the word synagogue until she told her husband later, and he said, oh, that's, like, a Jewish place of worship. Um, mm-hmm. So she said she said to them, like, the Bible is hard to understand, and they seemed to know what she meant by that. <laughs> um, so then they just started chatting, and she was, like, telling him about, like, how she uh, used to look after children and and looked after stray dogs. Um, and then she thought maybe they're hungry, so she went to go fetch a plate of mince pies for them. Um, So she put six of them on a plate, and each one of the beings lifted a mince pie as though their hands were magnetic. And then they were looking at the cigarettes again, and she's like, oh, let me show you how people smoke cigarettes. So here was her fatal mistake. Yeah, yeah. This was the problem. She lit a match and lit the cigarette And all of a sudden they were like fire and like leapt back towards the door. Like with this lighting, this fire, like really freaked them out. Um, And so she started like, they started freaking out and they were like floating towards the door with their pies. Uh, (laughs) And then finally, like she followed them out and she saw an orange colored glowing thing in the backyard, a spaceship, quote unquote. Um, She says it was eight to 10 feet long and about four feet high covered with round windows or portholes uh, and some kind of shining plastic, and then she says there was something like a scorpion tail at the back with a wheel on top. Um, and there's kind of an Ill- there's an illustration in the article of this thing, and it kind of looks like a football, like a American football. That's yeah. um, that's almost exactly what the shape is, except it's got this thing sticking out the back. So they each like held up a pie and got into the ship, and then like flashed the lights twice as though they were saying goodbye, and then they took off like, over the fence and away across the ground, actually. They didn't, like, jet off into the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, they took off, like, across the ground. But I guess it didn't, like, leave any marks. Like, there was there was snow on the ground. Um, and then the dog got up and, like, started coming out and looking around. And it left a big impression uh, in her garden, like, an actual impression. And, like, they measured it. It was eight feet long and four feet across. Um, you know, she called the police. They they came and uh, like measured it and like took a report. Um, she called her husband at work. Like she was like, I'm going to call my husband at his job. Uh, and I love that she describes the conversation. She says, "I said to him, I have had visitors with wings." He said, "What do you mean, birds?" <laughs> I, was, I was shaking and crying. I said, "No, men with wings." He laughed and said, why don't you go and have your hair done and tell the girls about it? And she says, I did that later on, and they were very kind.
3: <laughs> Leave him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Go we'll go, go tell the girls down at the salon. And she's like, oh, okay. And so she tells them, and apparently they were like, hmm, I see. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no that that is like one of the all time uh, all time classics, and it's just like, look, you yeah. you don't need to show those aliens how or the, those those euphonomes you don't need to show them how you smoke like That's you right. yeah exactly. like oh you don't gosh. need to imp- impart the smoking habits onto them come on like uh
0: yeah and they've got so the couple of things though that were in the after afterwards that she says is that her her eyes were sore for a week so there's that like visual. Yeah you know, I, eye, eye thing again with the light and she actually had to wear dark glasses. It was so bad. Um, and then she actually had to have some, took, take some time off of work because she felt so crummy afterwards. Um, so the doctor told her to, to have a rest. Um, and then the other thing is that like she, so she's, she says she's never read books about UFOs. Like she only reads the newspaper and watches like junk TV. Um, and then the cassette tapes that they picked up, and we're playing with uh, that were handled by them. They tried playing them a few days later, but they were all distorted and completely ruined. Like they couldn't Mm. take out the sound on them anymore. So um, yeah, that's the, that's the whole story. And then like most, you know, people, there's a list of people who will confirm that she was sincere when she was giving this report. Um, You know, whether or not, you know, they, they went to the house and they heard her story. So You know, for all intents and purposes, I I don't think she was making anything up here. Um, But that is, like, that's my favorite, I think, Mm -hmm. euphonome story of these little guys hovering into the house, like, jumping up on the couch and, like, messing with the Christmas tree.
1: (laughs) Totally, totally obsessed with that Christmas tree and, like... Just not down with smoking habits. I get it. I mean, you know, there's, there's always. Sometimes they, they just cross the line. But uh, that's right. yeah, it's, it's no, it's, it's an absolutely classic case. And like, just looking at the, the image of those beings, it's just like, so it's so whimsical. Like you it know, is, to, yeah. to look at them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: it's way whimsical. I like that. You know, and that's that's the kind of story that I think is more interesting to me. And I think all of us at, you know, with, with liminal earth is, um, you know, I, I, it's not scary at all to me. Like, and it, it, it's not just that like they, um, like I don't, I don't get freaked out by a lot of this stuff in general. I just never have. Um, but this one in particular, it's like, I almost would want something like that to happen. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I want to party with, you know, mince pies, a glass of water and three, Aliens shaking my Christmas tree,
1: shaking that Christmas tree, trying to get everything (laughs) that they can from it. Uh, that is, uh, that's, that's a perfect way to end this particular episode about the euphonomes. Uh, Y'all, thank you so much for, for coming on and being a part of this episode is, is fantastic. Uh where can uh people keep up with uh all you got all that you've got going on and you know with uh your personal projects and everything.
2: Uh you can go we have a map called Liminal Earth. You can go Liminal Earth, and people put their crowdsourced uh, weird experiences there. We're on Twitter and Instagram and all that. And we have a TikTok that we're pretty active on, also Liminal Earth. Um, we also have been doing this thing called Woofo Wednesday Night UFO Watch. So you can go to wufo.watch, and uh, this, that's open to everyone, just like... It's a thing to look up into the sky on Wednesdays at 10 p.m., look for UFOs based on this old John Keel data point thing. And we do like a live stream um, uh, ahead of that, but it's really open to anyone who wants to go out out there and look for UFOs with us on Wednesday nights. Um, We also have a Patreon. Uh, I heard some, I don't know if you guys heard those uh, wrestling of feet up there could have, some gnomes nope. above me um uh, we have a we we have a patreon uh also liminal earth um and it gives access to our little discord of weirdos so um yeah recommend checking that out did i miss anything I think those uh, are our main things i can't think of anything As for
1: the Our Strange Guys podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. And if you'd like to help us out, please leave ratings and reviews for any platforms that allow it. Tell all your friends about all the stuff that we do, whether it's this podcast, whether it's Little Earth, just like spread the joy of the things that you love on the Internet. It's it's it it. It boosts us up. It, it gives us the, the uh, it makes us feel good inside. So definitely do that. Um, and if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to patreon.com slash your UFO guy, uh, where for three dollars a month, you'll get access to the regular episodes early and you will also get bonus audio as well. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Our Strange Skies and uh, also on Instagram at the same address. Uh, special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Special thanks to Spencer My Davis. connection's
3: never been this bad. I don't know if you guys can hear me, but I haven't been able to hear you in minutes, pretty much. <laughs>
1: Uh, special thanks to Spencer Worth Davis for editing our episodes to Megan Lagerberg for our logo and the great Desdemona for our t-shirt designs uh, if you head on over to our Tee Public store you will find the uh, the Gondola Man design, which just came out uh, today as we're recording this. Uh, you can find links to our, all our social media profiles, Patreon, all that stuff in the link tree, in the show notes. Um, you can also find all the sources that we use uh, for this episode in the show notes as well. And finally, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or in a small clearing in Senina, Italy. In Gray, we trust.
2: I saw a window somewhere in New Mexico on the way back home. Maybe I don't know. It was green. I think it's all green. I wish you could stay because I know I have lots to say.
0: Joveed Media.